Well, good day. I'm Mark Sylvester, Ambassador of 805 Connect, and your host for this 805 Conversation, where we talk to fascinating people you'll want to know better. Our show is sponsored by California Lutheran University's School of Management and Tolman and Weicker Insurance Services. Thanks to them both for their support and encouragement. Thanks to our podcasting partner, Pull String Press, for this great studio, and to Patrick, my co-host. Hey, Patrick. Hi, Mark. Nice to see you. You know, I, I, I just look forward to this, coming here and talking to really, really interesting people and letting everyone listen in today. Uh, an old, old dear friend, David Knorr of the Knorr Group. Hello, David. Hello, Mark. Good to uh, good to connect, David. Um, there's so much I want to talk to you about. The main theme, though, is around a book you wrote. How many years ago was your first book? The, the first uh, copy of a first edition of Relationship Economics came out in uh, October of 2008. So hard, hard to believe, almost wow. eight years ago. So eight years ago, you had this idea, and, and for those of you, we'll, we'll put a show note in. The, the book is called Relationship Economics, and that was just the first in a series of things that has really propelled David out into the world as a, a very, very highly sought-after keynote speaker, author. He writes for Huffington Post and New York Times and Medium and He's kind of everywhere. He is the guy on relationship economics, and that's a new term for you. We, we play, David, we play something called buzzword bingo on the show, and it's when there's uh, some jargon we don't understand. And I explain relationship economics all the time, but what I'd like to hear from you is when that the idea crisp, crystallized for you, when, when did that first happen? Sure. Why don't you tell us sure. that story? Yeah, I, I tell a lot of friends sometimes it's better to be lucky than good. I, I, uh, I was having coffee with a, a good friend who at the time was a deputy uh, CIO at, at a big bank in town. And over a cup of coffee, he says, you know, you network better than anybody else I've ever met. Can you come to our church and just talk about what you do and how you do it? And I'm like, sure, I'm happy to do it. And I'm thinking, church, six, eight people. The night before, I put together 10 slides. And I show up, and Mark, there's 200, 250 oh people in an auditorium, oh right? Gosh. I'm like, Uh-oh. you know, I, I, what, 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 I, what am I going to say that they haven't heard before? What am I going to say? They're not going to laugh and walk out. Right. So I've been talking about this notion of relationship currency for a long time. But you know my story. I'm originally from Iran. I came yep. to this country with a 100 bucks, didn't know anybody, didn't speak a word of English. And I talked about you know, remembering at a very young age, dad walking you know, me through the bazaars of Iran and you know, for not just Iran, but most of the Middle East, most of the world, you get things done through relationships. Whether we needed access to a plumber at the house that day or an influential politician, the favor economy is alive and well. So so I, I did what I, you know, practiced my clients to do, which is I, I got some smart people around the table and I started talking about relationship currency and reputation capital and professional net worth. And one of them said, what you're really talking about is this umbrella of relationship economics. And the light bulb just went off. Of, That's exactly right. We're trying to tie this, what's perceived to be soft, nebulous asset that we all know it's important, relationships, with quantifiable, strategic, measurable, impactful kind of business outcomes, business results. And that's where the idea, that's where the idea came from. 
So, David, you know, you know, I'm all about networks. 805 Connect is it's Connect is in the name. Uh, we're, you know, we we have seen the power of relationships. You were, the, I think, you were the one who taught me years ago. You said that life is uh, not a series of transactions; it's a series of relationships, and we should always be seeking that out. Your your coaching on that it was was really helpful. I'm, you said something in the startup that. I hadn't heard before, which was you learned this by observing your father in the bazaars of Iran. Give, give me an example. How would he yeah, do that? Sure, sure. So, so one of the one of the uh, skills that of you know the knowledge you pick up, that certainly the behaviors you develop very early on in the Middle East. And again, I've, I've also seen this in in Asia. I've seen this in you know several parts of Europe. Is this notion, as I said earlier, the favor economy, right? So right, if you and I, right. and I talk about it now, I call it the relationship currency deposit, right? So if you invest in a relationship, uh, it could be uh, time, it could be talent, it could be knowledge, it could be influential relationships. Those are all examples of investing in relationships that are critical to your success. At some point, what you've earned is now the, the right. You've earned the credibility. You've earned the repute to then be able to come and ask for a return on that relationship investment. Mm -hmm. Now, what I don't want to do is sound like, you know, you're manipulating people. And my job is never to teach people how to use others. That's not what it's about. But, you know, I learned from my bank. I cannot make Mm -hmm. $100 deposit and ask for $1,000 in return, right? So so what that taught me, and, and, you know, again, most of that part of the world learns early on, is that by investing in, relationships that are relevant, relationships that are important, relationships that are priority, relationships that are of particular interest or value to you, and you start by investing, it's a lot easier to go to them than ask for a a return, ask for help. Yet you and I have people that come to us all the time asking for something where they've never earned the right to do so. Mm -hmm. So, so, you know, again, I coach people all the time. It's a heck of a lot easier for you to, you, you know, put your hand out there for help if you've given a hand uh, to mm-hmm. a lot of others in the past, the, the, the mark, the challenge is, and most of your listeners are going to be able to relate to this. Everybody gets that relationships are important. Very few understand their significance. Very few understand how to be more systematic, how to be more disciplined in the relationships they choose to invest in. And if you think about what I just said, if you dissect what I just said, a, it's a choice. We all choose to invest in investment, time, effort, resources in key relationships that we believe are important or valuable to us. You cannot invest in everybody equally. As a matter of fact, sociologists tell us that an average individual can really proactively focus on about 100 to 150 relationships. That's it. That's so the million that, dollar question. Yeah. Which ones, right? <laughs> yeah, that that's the the number. You know, when I'm building a network for someone, they'll they'll say, do, "Do do we have enough people?" And I said, and I tell them the social fabric breaks down at about 152, as it turns out. And it's um, what I learned it was as many people as you can remember, <clears throat> first name, last name, and one personal thing about them. As it turns out, that's about 150 people. And it was proven by a, um, a food and beverage class, uh, the instructor here in Santa Barbara, a very, very famous guy. And he had a class every Friday morning, all 150 students of all four 
semesters would be in the class and stand up one at a time, say first name, last name, something personal. And they dis, that, the whole class was just going one by one through that. The final was you had to know first name, last name, one personal thing about everybody in your class, pass or fail. And sure. he said, if you're going to go out into the world and be a leader and you can't remember the names of the people that work for you, how can you effectively lead them? Mm. And I've That's never forgotten true. that. No, very true. And, and unfortunately, a lot of people forget that. Uh, you know, I speak, you were kind enough to mention my speaking. I, I do 50 to 60 global speaking engagements a year. And I, and I, and I constantly reiterate that you, you, you know, you cannot invest in everybody equally. You cannot um, let the individual stories, and we all have one. Every one of us has an individual oh, you story. Bet. You cannot, you cannot let those individual stories get lost in purchase orders and project mm, plans mm, and checklists mm, mm, and mm. things that are so transactional that they're going to come and go. And, and, and one of my favorite stories or questions is, you know, what was that, what was that really important project you were working on five years ago hmm. or 10 years ago? Most people can't remember, right? Who was the first manager who taught you, took you under his or her wings mm, mm, and taught you mm. the business? Who were you with on 9-11? You know, mm. who, who did you make the first either, you know, client call or, or the first really difficult project where? So we remember relationships because in many ways, they shape the individual we become. They shape the skills, the knowledge, the behaviors we pick up in the, and we model them. We model those we admire and how they build and nurture relationships. And we also see, you know, certain behaviors, relational typically, in others that we despise. And we mm-hmm. promise ourselves, mm-hmm. I'm never going to be that jerky of a boss, or I'm not going to be that prickly of a colleague, or I'm not going right. to be that rude of a customer ever. And that's the same thing. Because those are negative relational behaviors that we definitely know we don't want to become. We don't want to replicate or, or, or duplicate. So with this, I want to unpack the key relationships piece. When you said you know, the challenge is that few understand the significance of relationships. And, you know, you have all of these people you can, the potential people you can talk to, which ones am I going to invest in? I remember a a sales guy uh, prior to a big trade show we were all at and he drafted everybody. He says, okay, you're now all officially members of the sales force. And we know for certain that 10% of the people that are at this trade show are going to purchase. We know that definitively. Ideally, they would have been given a red hat when they registered. So when you're talking to someone, you've got to figure out who's wearing a red hat. In your world of figuring out how do you decide and what is key, do you have, you know, could you help our listener think about maybe two or three questions you know, without blowing someone off, says, no, you're not key to me. You don't fit my metric. I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to invest in you. How do you, how do you engage? And then let's start with how you engage and then how you disengage gracefully. So, yeah. So let, let me, let me kind of set the stage to answer that question. So number one, um, we all have three types of relationships. This might be useful. Uh, one is personal. Uh, these are friends. This is golf. This is fishing. This is cooking. This is spa. This is People that are discretionary, we pick them, we choose them as friends, yet we're not sure how they may or may not be relevant to our professional world, right? The second type is our functional relationships. These are people, respectfully, we put up with because we have to. 
There may be colleagues, they may be, right? There may be colleagues, there may be customers, there may be, they're not necessarily discretionary. We don't always pick who we choose to work with, but they're still safe because of that context of the work together, okay. right? Sure. Most people I meet have plenty of the first two. Hmm. It's the last one they miss out on, which are really their strategic relationships. By definition, strategic relationships elevate your thinking. They elevate your perspective. If you generate it, Three million in revenue last year, they'll help you get to five. If you generate 10 million, they'll help you get to 50. I think you get the type that, that are thinkers, that are connectors, that are uh, an incredible board of advisors or board of directors, or it's the accountant for that entrepreneur. It's the attorney for that entrepreneur. That, that, is, that is truly strategic in helping them, hopefully, think very differently about their personal and professional growth, right? That's, that's, that's one. Keep that in mind. Yep. We also build relationships for very specific purposes. So think about it a second. Some relationships we build for a reason, right? You and I work together on a project. We get it done. It's done, right? That's a reason. Put several reasons together and you get a season, right? We work together several huh. years. We work on different huh. jobs, different functions. Again, most people I meet do the first two really well. Not enough people build relationships for a lifetime. And my favorite examples of lifetime relationships is think of people you and I have known who followed the same manager or leader across several different companies, if not industries. You and I both know they don't do that for 10 bucks more an hour, or they right. don't do that for right. you know, two more days of vacation a year. Right. They do that because I know John or Beth is never going to do anything yeah. to let me down or is going to take care of me or make sure I continue to learn and grow and do other interesting things, right? That's one. Two, think of, in some ways, you're my path, right? We met, what, almost 15, 20 years ago, yeah, 20. right? Different, you know, same company, different parts of the company, different coasts of the company. And for whatever reason, we've stayed in touch. And, and now we work together again. And, 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 you know, you guys obviously have done a great job with the Nornet community that we run. And I think I've helped, you know, you think a little differently about your business. And so, so relationships that extend beyond a reason and a season, you truly, you put several seasons together and now you start to build relationships for a lifetime. So if you that. think of those, if you think of those two as the backdrop, now let me come back full circle and answer your question. You have to be intentional about the relationships you choose to invest in. I said that earlier. So the, the entire process, and I'm a process consultant, right, is predicated by what, tell me about your goals. Tell me about your business goals. Tell me about your business results you're after. Tell me about, and, and again, you've read Relationship Economics. The whole first chapter is all about the top 10 reasons most networking doesn't work. And here's a cliff note for your readers. There's no purpose. There's no goal. There's no plan, right? So people network kind of haphazardly, and then they wonder why they have nothing to show from all those coffee meetings, all those lunch meetings, all those things that I hate to say it, but they confuse vibration with forward motion, right? Mm. So, so mm. To, to really think about what relationship you should invest in, I'm going to ask your listeners to take a step back and, and candidly, genuinely, authentically ask themselves, what business results, what outcomes am I after? Who do I need? Who is really going to be instrumental to helping me reach those results? Where can I go find them? Where can I go meet them? Who do I know that could create an access to or an opportunity with those individuals? And then how do I now start investing in those relationships that are most relevant to my goal or my outcome and really be systematic and disciplined in that process? 
that's where the whole relationship currency roadmap comes from. So, David, uh, i got to unpack a lot there. Um, <laughs> this is reminiscent of a conversation a week ago with a guy who said, uh, we were at a conference and we were talking to this guy about his work and he works with DOD and um, Special Forces guys. And he was talking about the first thing they do is figure out your network. Who do you have and who do you need? And I thought that was really interesting. You said, again, around having objective and, and a measurable value there in why I'm doing this. Most people don't ask that. They're just blindly stumbling through life. But the who do I need question, what what are the kind of the criteria? What are, Give me some examples of people sure. I might need. Sure. Yeah, so let's, let's talk about um, potentially a company that's trying to raise capital, right? Let's just say yep, you, you've got sure. a great idea and you want to raise capital, yep. right? So, so I, again, I spent several years in that world. I have a whole bunch of friends in that world. First and foremost, you've got to get educated on the whole fundraising. And by the way, it's very distracting, right? I've always mm-hmm, believed mm-hmm. fundraising keeps you actually from, and you've done several rounds of it, you understand that it keeps you from doing the real world, yep. which is yep. building great products, getting customers. But Number one, get educated in the process because if you're undereducated, you're going to just fumble and really struggle. So get get educated. Number two, depending on what stage, right? So let's just say I need angel investors. Well, great. That Now you don't know any, but you can start to profile. I need angel investors who are willing to invest you know, discretionary funds they have available, right, or, 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 or risk capital they have available, you know, up to $50,000, $100,000. Great. You know, do they need to be, is your business geographically focused? Because if you are just an 805 area code focal point, not sure somebody in New York or somebody in Atlanta or Texas is going to be as knowledgeable, as relevant to what you're trying to do. Mm-hmm. Conversely, if you're not, right, great, let's cast a much wider net. Mm-hmm. But those angel investors, if you understand investing, you realize a lot of their opportunities come from word of mouth. Great. So if I need angel investors, and here's a profile of those investors, then what I really need is is like a step back from that. I need people that know those individuals and are likely to, you know, are willing or able to make those introductions. Who are they? They're accountants. They're lawyers. Mm, mm, mm. They're bankers. There are again people that are in that money business. Right. Beautiful. Where do they where do they hang out? Right? Where where can I go find them? There's the Association for Corporate Growth. There's typically all kinds of angel investor networks in town. They are typically tied to a, some sort of a research university, and they know the local university professors. There's typically some sort of a, a technology society or technology. In, in a, again, Georgia is the Technology Association of Georgia tag, right? So there's there's places where they congregate. What you have to do is just the, literally the steps that I just outlined. Start thinking about who do I need, who do I know, right? I know Mark Sylvester. Mark's raised several rounds of funding. Can I go to him and start getting it early? Um, I think Lynda.com is right there in your backyard, right? They just they were able to build a very successful company and you know exit that. Could could I get an in, you know introduction to somebody there? Could, so you start literally mapping out. And the first time I did this, I did it with post-it notes. I, right? I'm, I'm reminded. Right? Excuse me, I'm I'm reminded. You told me the story. You got assigned the Disney account in Florida, and you yeah. you got a trailer on the lot. And you covered the inside of it with post-it notes. And were you doing this? Who do I need and who do I know? 
That's right. I did. Uh-huh. It was it was it was one of the first times I did this. So so at that time I did. I got assigned. I was working with Silicon Graphics, SGI, the technology company, and and I got Disney as an account. And we had done I think like 700k in two departments. And I'm like, this is we're talking about the Walt Disney World company, right? right it's just right. the massive organization. So I said, number one, I'm not going to make any money sitting in my office, right? So I would literally commute 60 miles each way to go down on the property. And I got myself with one of the apartments really liked us. I got myself a badge and a car pass and, you know, an office, but, you know, they had limited office space building wise. So I got, uh, you know, literally an office in one of the trailers. Right. And, and then I start, I, I got myself a, a, a company directory, right? Huh. And I started to literally use post-it notes by departments and divisions and business units of individuals I needed. Those were very specifically yellow. Then I used green ones for who did I know? Well, I only knew a couple of people here. Right, you're just but starting. But I could leverage, right? I could leverage those. Uh, I, I think of outbreak, right? You, you, oh. you get in and you kind of start spreading around and you start leveraging those relationships. And I started hosting these informational sessions where my existing mm. clients would talk about what they were using with, you know, again, you know, Alias and Wavefront and some of the tools they were using and if you remember Nastran and, and, and the, the, the Patran and those the, the structural analysis and a lot of the things that sure. compute, compute and graphic intensive stuff that SGI was really good at. So in essence, I activated this army of passionate people about our technology. So it didn't come across the sales pitch, mm. but I started mm. to connect the relationships I had with the ones I needed. And, and that's how we're able to do something like $30, $40 million in a couple of years in 24 departments and 11 different business units. You went from 700000 to $30 million in two years? In about two years. Dude. In about two years. And, and, it, and I practice what I now preach to others, that this approach works if it's systematic, if it's disciplined, and if it's worth doing, you know, you put in the hard work. And, and you know me, this was a lot of hours till wee hours of the night, and it was a lot of, you know, connecting the dots, and a lot of times you get told no, you, you know, and, and SGI at that time didn't have the most reliable technology, we didn't have the, <laughs> right, let's be honest, we, yeah. there were certain things we were very good at, but we were not client server, and we weren't going to compete with Oracle, you know, and running Oracle servers with HP and DEC and Sun and other people, so I, I picked my fights. Hey, David. I figured out, Yeah. Well, the way you've described that, sorry, as Patrick, the the way that you've described that is is a viral outbreak. I mean, when you say that that you were you were modeling after you know this concept of outbreak, I just I think of the very success of a virus and viral is to infiltrate and then just kind of just spread and replicate through that system that you're talking about. That's I, I that's exactly right. And, but again, I did it from a relational standpoint. Right, I right. did it from a relationship. How, and, and if you. Right. If you listen to my comments, it it wasn't I wasn't going to succeed with a quote unquote sales pitch. I actually told a group of audience members, I said, unless you play Major League Baseball, can we stop using the word pitch? Because nobody <laughs> likes to be no, right. No, nobody, nobody enjoys a pitch. Be, no, yeah. Nobody likes to be pitched at. What's right? the nobody new word then, David? Sold. What's the better word? It, it it really is. It's become an object of interest. It's it's real. And again, you've heard me say this to people. Have you ever tried pushing a rope? Yeah. It does not work. Whereas if you become an object of interest, and I've been practicing this for 20 years, if you create, and, and, and I recently heard a, a quote that absolutely is going to burn into my psyche, right? Are you willing to do the incredibly hard work necessary to become world class? 
So if you create that market gravity, if you create that pull, if you become an object of interest, those who matter will seek you out. And, and this is from a guy who I literally started cold calling where we had call lists. And you would dial seven hundred names, dialing for dollars, no right? Kidding. You would call, you would call seven hundred names to get three people to talk to you. That's how I started selling, mm. and I'm just convinced more than ever those days are long gone. Yeah, they are. You've got sophist- you've got sophisticated clients. You have sophisticated technology. You've got some of my clients. Their assistants have assistants, <laughs> and their whole job is their whole job is to keep you out. Mm-hmm. So the only way you're going to get into those doors is through trusted introductions mm. and trusted relationships. And, and, and you guys are exactly right. I leveraged relationships to not just get in, but really get others to carry the Silicon Graphics SGI flag. And, and, and that, by the way, that's one example of a dozen I can share with you of how you leverage relationships, not just get in the door, but establish your credibility, establish your repute, establish your unique value add, establish your presence, and kind of grow the opportunity from there. Well, but isn't it also once you get in the door, you have an authentic product, or you have something of, of integrity that you believe in? No no question. I'm a huge believer of you know performance, execution, and results can accelerate your ability to, to really uh, arm those relationships with, with substantive you know, information to talk about, or if you don't have those, it'll be a slippery slope out the door. So, so relationships are never going to replace your ability, your products, your services, your ability to deliver on the commitments you make. They just create that edge. Mm. Um, I, used to have a, I used to have an old track coach who always told us to run through the tape. Yep. And, and what he meant yep. was, don't, don't let off the gas, right? Run yep. through the tape because you never know who's on either side. And, so, so relation, and, and if you look at any... Uh, of, I love my favorite is the Olympic, you know, a lot of the Olympic events, right? Most of them are not, not won by miles, right? They're won by one hundredth of a second, mm-hmm. right? It, and that's what relationships are, is that it's that edge. Relationships um, can, can be amazing source of forgiveness. Relationships, and we all screw up, right? If you nurture the relationship, it's amazing what they'll forget. It's amazing what they'll forgive. So, David, is it, don't, is it fair to so, say... With social, because I think of it as social capital, and, you know, I I explain your whole concept as social capital and withdrawing and depositing, and that by building this long-term relationship with someone, when things are not going so well, it's kind of like being overdrawn at the bank. The bank doesn't kill you. They don't, you know, boot you out. You may get a little slap on the wrist, but they still love you. Is is that kind of what we're talking about? Yeah, and, and, and again, there's going to be an NSF fee, right? <laughs> but, but they're not going right? to come take you home, right? And, right. And, and again, relationships also, and that's the other thing I coach a lot of people, is use them, don't abuse them. Right. Right? So, so, so um, you know, I trust until somebody gives me a reason not to trust. I have a three-touch rule. Well, I'll invest three times without asking for anything in return. But there's also some fundamental laws in relationships, just like there's some laws in banking, right? Number one, gratitude. Mm. You do something for somebody, at a minimum, they should say thank you. If they don't, your relational yellow flag should go up, Mm -hmm. right? Number two is reciprocity. Not Maybe not today, tomorrow, next week, or next month, but you do something for somebody, the general accepted societal etiquette is 
you're going to say, not only thank you, what can I do to help you? Mm-hmm. How can I be an asset to mm-hmm. you? And Mark, I am in awe of how many people fundamentally forget that notion. Mm-hmm. You, you invest time and effort in helping them. They, they, and, I'll, and I'll talk about the relationship builders in a second. But they, they forget everybody helped them you know, get there. Yeah. And then the third law, the third law is, and again, most of your listeners have heard this, is this, no, this notion of pay it forward, right? If I coach and mentor you, the, the perception is going to be you're going to likewise take those ideas, take those insights, yep. and coach and yep. mentor somebody else, right? That's how our society functions. Now, let me come back to the three types of relationship builders, right? You're going to love this one. Number one are givers. God bless Mother Teresa, right? There's some people that just altruistically give. They get something very euphoric from just giving. The problem is most of us can't be pure givers because I don't know about you. I've got something called the mortgage. <laughs> the second type of relationship builders are, and again, we see this all the time, are takers. Yep. The only time they call, right? Let me know if any of any people come to mind, right? The <laughs> only time they call is when they want something, right? Right? And my, and my absolute hated example is people who look for a job, right? It's a fun line oh. to executives. It doesn't matter. When they're looking for a job, they network, and I hate that term because it's purely transactional, like mad, right? They call everybody they know. They have coffee, lunch meetings. They go see if they're everybody's best friend until they find a job. Then they forget everybody who helped them get there until three years from now when they call you back. Take one wild guess what they want. They're looking for a job. New job. They're looking for the next job. Yeah. And and I'm, I'm the type, and by the way, takers never see themselves as takers. And I actually oh. call him on it. I'm I'm sorry, John. Um, when was the last time you called to see how I'm doing? And when was the last time to call you called and asked how my business is going? Or to offer something? Because or offer something, right? I got so busted for givers, that one time. Right, someone busted relationship, me. Right, relationship givers, relationship takers, and the third and the most incredibly valuable and unfortunately a rarity that you see are relationship investors. Ooh. who fundamentally understand that you cannot ask for a withdrawal until you've made a deposit. Huh. So if you, I, I know you need something done. What are you doing to be an asset to others before you put your hand out and ask for their help? When you, on the three-touch rule where you're investing three times without asking, and you know it is going back to your early co- earlier comments about it being a strategic relationship, and and it's someone on my who do I need list. How do you rectify inter- your internal dialogue around sure. not being manipulative? Because I I mean I know yeah. I I know why I'm doing this. I'm real clear and. And I and I want to find a way to really like them and become their friend and be very genuine. But how's that internal dialogue get rectified? Yeah. So so let's let's give it. I'm a big believer that specificity drives credibility, right? So let's talk about a specific scenario. Let's talk about a, a customer who is really valuable. You need them because of the revenue they generate, but they're they're either really not really nice people, or or they're just a pain in the rear to deal with, or they're never they're never happy. Right, doesn't matter what kind of hoops you jump through; they're never happy. Right, so so I, I tell so again um, the relationship problems you're having now. I'm willing to bet you had a genesis, had a spark, had a mm. starting point somewhere. Right, you just either ignored it, 
or you 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 were desperate because you needed the revenue or some other way you you just didn't address it then right so so rule number one bad prospects become horrible customers <laughs> david you're you're, right? you're so quotable today <laughs> right so think about it a second bad prospects and these are grown people right they're not like if they're going to squeeze you for margin if they're asking you how low will you go up front I'm pretty much willing to bet you that behavior is never going to change. Mm. So bad prospects become horrible customers. And if you enable bad behavior early on, it's only your fault that you're getting bad behavior sure. down the road. That's number one. Number two, if you have, and you've seen, you may have seen me draw this, if you draw a horizontal line, at the middle is neutral customers. You're okay. They're okay. On the left-hand side is negative one customers. Those are the negative ones that are never happy and they're always complaining, all that stuff. Right-hand side of your line is positive one customers. Guess what? Negative one customers are keeping you from moving the neutrals to a positive one and the positive ones to a positive two. Hmm. So I coach a lot of clients, fire your negative one customers. Hmm. Now, that's a lot easier said than done if you have plenty of positive one customers. So the negative one customer you have now that's, that's unhappy and it's just a bad relationship and you need them for the revenue, I'm a big believer of A, hustle your behind off to go find some positive one customers so you're not as desperate for them, number one. Right. Number two, I always rather deal with the devil I know versus the devil I don't know. So I'm going to have an annual review of our business or every biannual review of our business review with that customer. And it's time to have, you know, in Southern vernacular, we call it a come to Jesus meeting, right? <laughs> so we have to have this conversation of I cannot stay in business with two-point margin. And I think you want me to stay in business. So let's talk about how we can continue to work together under different circumstances. And if that's not agreeable to you, with all due respect, I'll wrap up whatever loose Mm -hmm. ends. I don't ever want to leave anybody in limbo. I'll take the high road. I'll wrap up whatever loose ends we have. I'm happy to introduce you to three of my biggest competitors. (laughs) How, How does that work for you? Has it worked? Absolutely, it's worked. Now, do they do they turn around or do they say, "Great, give me their names"? Well, right. So, so I've had both scenarios, right? I've had some customers say, "You know, no thanks. We can get it cheaper somewhere else," and yeah, wrap it up, and they go away, right? Which is which makes your life easier. By the way, if you have employees, they throw a big party because (laughs) everybody in the office knows. Thanks, boss. Pain in the rear customer, right? Thank you for just making our lives a lot easier by getting rid of that customer. They were a huge pain. Right. Number one. And I've had here's the best part. I've had other people go away, work with somebody else. Mm. They certainly wouldn't put up with it. Here it comes. Then they come back. Yeah. Then they come back. And under when they come back, yeah. they come back under your terms. Yeah. And they are grateful because they human condition. Right. We don't really realize what we have. till it's gone. And then we're like, oh, crap, that was really good. Can I get it back? Can I how do I go back with without feeling like I've tucked my tail between my legs. And I and again, I, I coach. It's amazing how many people I coach to be nice. Right. It doesn't take that much it doesn't take that much effort. Doesn't take that much effort. People have long memories. And if you're nice, yeah. Yeah. right? Which uh, by the way, uh, resisting the urge to choke the life out of a lot of people is it's a lot more you know difficult said than done, right? Hmm. But if you're nice, it's amazing that you're leaving that door open for them to come back or for somebody who worked at that company mm. who didn't necessarily agree with the company's policies to go somewhere else, remember you, your value add and bring you in at the next place. That's happened twice to me. Exactly how you said it. 
right? Exactly. They remember you. They appreciate you. They appreciate the value that you brought. They didn't agree with that boss's treating of you that way. Right. And the next chance they go, either they become a boss or they become more influential, they remember you, they remember your value add, they bring you in. One CFO has hired me in four different companies. No kidding. David, let me and ask you a... we've built a good relationship. I want to ask you a question that has, I think is an interesting one for the kind of the small to medium-sized business owner. It has to do with membership in professional organizations. I know that a large part of your client base is you go out and talk to these associations a lot. And I'm thinking of the maybe the younger business owner who hasn't kind of grown up around that old school. You join these trade associations and clubs. What What's the value proposition to someone to say, you know, you really should go do that and why? Because I know you're a member of, of many. Help, how does that play into the, str- the strategy of someone, of small yeah, businesses? Yeah, so, so, uh, so again, there's always um, reasons. You, you have to have reasons for why you do what you do. Exactly. Right? So my, my, biggest, my biggest reason is I'm a lifelong learner. Right. Yep. So the organizations yep. I belong to, first and foremost, and if you think about many, many industry associations were the original social network. Right. Mm-hmm. Think about it. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and people fundamentally gather for two reasons, content and community. What can I learn that I wouldn't have access to otherwise? And who else can I meet? Who else can I get to know? Right. So I join organizations for the same reasons. What can I learn? So right now I'm active in the Association for Corporate Growth, right? These are all middle market mergers and acquisition types. I came from a private equity background, and I also do a lot of consulting for private equity or middle market folks who, you know, either pre-transaction due diligence, post-transaction, you know, integration, whatever. So, so that's an environment where I can learn a lot. And more importantly, I'm in the midst of a whole lot of other professional service firms that become a really good referral source for mm. me. So I'm getting a lot of value out of the content, and I've built a pretty good community. Conversely, right, I've I've resigned from several because we all have limited bandwidth, right? right? right. Where, where, you know, there's a misalignment, and you've also heard me say this, relationships go bad with misalignment of expectations, right? Well, it works the same way with an organization. My perception of joining this group was I'm going to get X, Y, Z, and when I don't get the content – and I don't really feel like I belong or I can relate to or I get any value from that community, there's no reason for me to continue that. It's not a badge of honor. I don't need it on my resume. I don't right, right. need to continue to do that. So so the organizations I belong to, I, I'm, I'm active in the National Association of Corporate Directors. These are all corporate board members, mm. right? Their annual meeting is, is five grand to attend. You, you know mm. my business. It's a small business, right? It's mm-hmm, a huge mm-hmm, investment mm-hmm. to go there. But when you're sitting at the table with a board member from Boeing and AT&T <laughs> ding, and ding, Target and ding, ding, ding. right, those are uh, those are incredibly bright, seasoned executives that not only you can learn from, but it's a great community to be a part of. So, so that's my suggestion to whether you're in the spring of your career, you, you mentioned a young person, whether you're an entrepreneur, whether you're a um, I, I belong to one of the, you brought up entrepreneurs or small business owners. I belong to one of those um, CEO peer groups. They'll go unnamed. And I joined sure. one for six months and I kept going and I ended up, I felt like I was giving more advice than mm-hmm. I was getting. You could have run the group. And 
right and and why am I I'm paying for this mm-hmm. and I'm not getting anything out of it and it's just not a value to me. Conversely, I know other friends who belong to other kind of CEO groups. As you know, it's a, it's a small business a owner. It's a lonely yeah. job. And, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a lonely job, and you really need somebody to bounce ideas off of, and it's invaluable to them, right? So they're getting a lot of value from the content and the community. But those are that's my litmus test for anybody anywhere in their career, right? The same reason I go to Renaissance Weekend, same reason you go to TED, same reason I've been to Milken Institute. I'm going to the Fast Company Innovation Summit. Ooh, nice. So whether it's it's organizations or events, those are the two things I really look for. David, I'm. We could probably talk for hours, but we're at the end of our time, <laughs> and I love that. The, the, you know that te- the, you you're so quotable, David. Um, I will get these quotes out into the show notes. How do people get a hold of you? Sure. So I'm, I'm happy to help. I, it just So two opportunities, either just Google my name, right? And it's David N-O-U-R, and you'll see a plethora of videos and articles, and I'm blessed to be able to write for a lot of sources. If you want to come directly to our website, it's just norgroup, N-O-U-R group.com. And there's a blog, there's a position papers and infographics. There's a ton of resources you can download for free. There's a store where you can get access to some nine, ten books I've written and audio books and all kinds of other good resources to continue to learn and grow. I'm also under the resource section. I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm elated. I'm couldn't be more proud of our, we built with your help, a private community called Nornet. And it's based on the intro networks and the 805 Connect community platform where, you know, if you've heard me speak, if you've read any of my stuff, come to that community. And on a weekly basis, I share relationship best practices, tips, and techniques. Those come out on Tuesday mornings. Uh, but yeah, come to our website, and again, norgroup, N-O-U-R group.com, and there's all kinds of resources that you can learn and grow through. David, one of the uh, things that our, our listener loves to wait for is this thing we're going to do next, which is getting to name this episode. We know that everything is in a name, and when someone's scanning the list of uh, episodes to pick the best one to listen to. It's all about the title. And we give our guest first dibs on giving this a title. So it is the time of the show where I ask you to give me five words or less. What should we call this great conversation? Yeah. I'm, I'm again, I've, I've, I've built my career. I've built the last decade around this idea of relationship economics. And, and I often talk about the art and science of relationships. Because that. that's that's really the, the focal point of how to become better at this is really understanding there's both an art and somewhat of a science of, uh, of, of doing this effectively, intentionally, systematically, more disciplined, quantifiable way. David, I love that. That's fantastic. I, I have a feeling this is going to this is one of those. Patrick, this is one of the it's informational and inspirational in what we're trying to do. So. David, thank you so much. I want to thank, again, uh, California Lutheran University School of Management and Tolman and & Weicker Insurance Services, our podcasting partner, Pull String Press, for this just this fabulous place to have these conversations, and Cielo24, who provides the searchable captions for our show. The 805 Connect Project is supported by partners and sponsors throughout the region. We want to thank them as well. You can get more information at 805connect.com. If you join our members community, you'll get our weekly newsletter where we talk about events and partners and all kinds of uh, cool stories of the things that are happening here in the 805. 
Patrick, how could people specifically help us if they liked this episode? Well, I think they should take David's advice and make a deposit in a in a, in one of your business associates. And so, right now, as soon as this episode is over, uh, get on the phone and uh, and recommend this a direct recommendation uh, to uh, one of your business associates that needs to listen to a good quality podcast today. There you go. I love that. And what else should they do? Well, of course, uh, per usual, uh, you guys should pick up the phone and call your moms. Your mom is sitting by the phone waiting for you to call. And I am as well. I'd love to hear from you personally. I run into people around uh, the region who tell me they listen to the show and I, I get, uh, I just, it makes me feel good because uh, they're being nice to me, as David says. So um, if you'd like to write me, it's mark at 805connect.com. I'm always looking for uh, new guests and interesting people to have conversations with. So until next time, this is Mark Sylvester, your host for 805 Conversations. Conversations.